and we enter his courts with thanksgiving and with praise. I'll extend my greetings with those that have already been extended to you. I hope you had a great Christmas. Is everybody now all rested and refreshed and ready to look forward to what's next? Are you still kind of on a food coma recovery program or fellowship uh, time? That has all been wonderful time spent together with family uh, and friends. And Christmas is good and we love it. Uh, it is great. Uh, Jill was telling me that Juliet told her Mom, I miss Christmas. And some of us are already missing Christmas, of course. Like Jill told Juliet, uh, Christmas will come again. She's like, there's another Christmas? And woke up looking for it. <laughs> Ready for Christmas to come again. And that's the good news, of course, of the Christian life. It is uh, renewed day by day. The promises are not one and done. They are ongoing. And I hope you've had time at least a little bit to catch your breath. And you'll have time between... Now in the new year to catch your breath. And we're starting this series, and I am kicking it off today. It's important, I think, that we acknowledge kind of where we are as a church and that we really seek God's clear guidance for where we go in 2021. I believe that 2021 is going to be a very significant year in the life of our congregation. And so this morning, just kind of a, a glimpse of some of the things to come and how we prepare our hearts what is going with uh, far, what to expect, what to anticipate. There are challenges, obviously. There are challenges that we expect. We know that there are going to be some difficult days in the coming year. There are challenges that we have no clue about. 2020 bears witness to that. There's always things that come that are unexpected. And while we will never find the perfection and the complete fulfillment of our hopes and dreams and everything just perfect here or this side of heaven, we do need to recognize that we're living in the between. Now, we're living between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. In our lives, we're living between being born again and the time when we go home, whether the Lord comes back to take us or whether He brings us through the portal of death to life everlasting in His presence. Living in between is an exciting time because it gives us things to do. God has given us task and mission, and we get to grow in our relationship with Him. And in many, many ways, and I don't want you to miss this, life is preparation for eternal life. Life on this earth is preparation for the life that will never end, for the life that we will enjoy in His presence. And so, in a very real sense, life is a journey. Paul calls our, his, his favorite, I think, uh, metaphor for the Christian life is your walk. Your walk. You're, you're, you're moving forward through life. And so we're going to be looking at the journey, or at least some things that we can do to prepare for whatever journey God has in store for us. Now, we can always look back and see where we've been. Stephen stole my joke about hindsight being 2020 this year. Uh, but And we can see how we've gotten to where we are. But like any journey or any trip, you need to be prepared as we go ahead. And there's a few things that we already know. Uh, you guys, we voted as a congregation to purchase an additional piece of property to that which we already held. The leadership team is already engaging. And architect, we're doing site planning. One of the things that we see, that we foresee in our future is... Our congregation worshiping and having a ministry center there on the west end of Greenville, and that's going to be exciting. It'll be a fun thing for us to engage in as we go into that. Uh, but that, that's secondary. A building or a place is only a tool to enable the church to be what the church should be. And matter of fact, I want us to pause right now as we begin the sermon and, and pray for a, a sister church. I don't know if any of you know, but First Baptist Church Cowpens caught on fire 
um, day before, or actually yesterday, yesterday afternoon. And by the time that the fire department got there, the fire had spread into the attic. The attic was all interconnected. The building, so far as they can tell right now, is a loss. And uh, we need to pray for uh, their pastor, Kermit Morris, and we need to pray for that congregation. And, we, and they know. I mean, we've, we've seen the post. They know what we know, that the church is never a building. The building is a place for a congregation to be used by God to accomplish the purpose that God has for us. But I want to pray for this message and to pray for that congregation as they're going through that experience right now. So join me for a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you that you have many local congregations, bodies that are gathered around and that we are yours, that you are the king of us all, all of us who have come to you in repentance and faith, all of us who are identified with a local congregation, that you are the head of your church. And we certainly lift up Calpin's First Baptist Church to you this morning. I pray for your comfort to be with that congregation, those who have and have had long ties to that facility and that building. And Father, I pray that you will be with them as they continue to recognize and grow in the fact that the church is never a building, never about a building. The church is always the people of God, yielded to God, empowered by God, comforted by God, strengthened by God, on mission from God, led by God. And I pray, Father, that you'll use this time to, even in a greater way, uh, increase the witness and testimony, the lampstand, if you will, of that congregation I pray that they will go through the things that they will experience with confidence and peace and rest in you and courage to face the days ahead. And I pray the same thing for us. I pray that we will be a congregation who goes without anxiety and goes without fear, but goes with courage because of our faith and our confidence in you, fully resting in you, anxious about nothing, but in everything giving thanks, trusting in your will and your guidance. And so as we go through this this study this morning, as we look at just some key principles from your word for what it means to be prepared for the future that you have for us, I pray that you'll let these truths find root in our heart and bear fruit in our lives. We love you. We trust you. In your name, I pray. Amen. All right. As we talk about a journey, as we talk about looking at 2021 and traveling through the year, uh, there are some things that you have to do when you prepare for a journey. And I will tell you, I've traveled enough to know that there are some essentials. There are some essentials you don't want to forget. And so you have to pack for the essentials. Now, when I first began traveling, particularly on short-term mission trips overseas and things like that, I would pack for every eventuality. You guys do that? Uh, Suzanne and I got to go spend a day or a couple of days with Danny and Josh in Knoxville. And when I came back, I unpacked clothes I never put on. Y'all ever do that? We, we, sometimes we tend to overpack, but we're prepared in case there's a need or in case there's something. I will tell you that you need to look at the weather forecast before you pack. Uh, one of the things that uh, we did well, Suzanne did well, she watched out for me, uh, is that they were anticipating very cold weather. And so when we got there, we ended up in snow and we were prepared. Now, granted, I will tell you that my experience in the snow was very brief. I left the fireplace. Went out, took a picture with Suzanne and smiled, and then went back into the fireplace to stay as warm as I possibly could while we were there. But it was a, it was a great experience. When you travel, you always pack and you take the things that are needful for a successful trip. And so I want us just to kind of begin with the obvious today. And there, there are three points that I want us to work through. The first thing is I want you to be, we need to resolve to be fully engaged in the journey. 
We need to resolve to be fully engaged in the journey. Uh, When uh, Chrissy was in middle school, she took a school trip, and I got to be one of the chaperones on that trip. And there were kids who just loved it. It was a local, it was a museum uh, and things like that. And there were people who, they just loved it. They were loved being out there. They loved being friends. They loved being engaged. But then there was this whole other little group of middle schoolers who were aloof and disdainful of whatever was taking place. And they missed out on all the joy of the trip just because, you know, they didn't really want to be there. They'd rather be doing this or rather be home or rather be staying this. And so they were not fully engaged. And you know as well as I do that we want God to engage our hearts. When we have to do something that we're not engaged in, that we're not committed to, that we're not yielded to, that we're not surrendered in, it becomes laborious. It becomes a challenge. And yet, what God would have us to do, what God calls us to do, is to be fully engaged. Or if you would rather... Be fully surrendered. Fully surrendered to God. Fully surrendered as His people, as His church. Or, some of you will be familiar with this phrase, be all in. Or, be sold out. Or be uncompromising in our convictions and our commitments. We need to determine in this stage of the journey to not just be a passenger, but to be an active participant In all aspects of the trip, in many ways, this flies in the face of our natural inclinations. We start things and we're enthusiastic at the start, but we just don't stay engaged like Dave was mentioning just a little while ago. Sometimes the journey, even the relationship, the commitment's there, but the luster is lost. We need to make sure that we finish, that we finish well, that we don't start things that we don't finish. And even though we do in life so many times, this is one of those things that is of value to us and value to the kingdom of God. And it's something that we need to follow through on. There are so many areas of life that we dabble. We are dilettantes. We tinker, we potter about with something. We stay on the fringes rather than going whole hog, which was a phrase my dad used to use a good bit. Go whole hog, son. Go whole hog. I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but he explained just a difference between a chicken and a pig and their contribution to a bacon and egg breakfast. The chicken makes a contribution, but the pig is all in. And we need to make sure that we're all in as the children of God. After all, it's how we entered the Christian life. Having been made aware of our need by God's Holy Spirit and seeing that Jesus is our only hope and having repented of sin, having placed your faith in Jesus alone, God brought you to life. He gave you life. He forgave your sins. He gave you His life. You remember in Luke chapter 14, which we studied as we were going through the Gospel of Luke, which we haven't finished yet. We're getting back to it this year. (coughs) Excuse me. But in Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes through this whole explanation of the cost of discipleship. And he talks about daily taking up your cross and following him. And he ends that. He has two beautiful pictures of what it means to be all in, to be totally surrendered, to be fully engaged. And he closes that section, or that section in Scripture is closed in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, where he says, Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, leave it all, embrace me totally, cannot be my disciples. The Gospels give us an account of one who was not willing to make that commitment. Do you guys remember that story? We call it, His name's not given in Scripture. We call him the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, Good teacher. Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want this for me. I, again, it's a, it's a reasonable thing. I want, I want this for me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? But the cost was too great for him. Jesus pointed out to him in a very poignant way that which he was not willing to renounce, that which he was not willing to let go of. You see, becoming saved, entering salvation is not simply a decision that one makes or some sort of formula prayer that one prays. It's not a New Year's resolution that this year I'm going to walk with God. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is an encounter with the living God, the God we've been singing about and adoring and worshiping this morning. It is meeting Him and seeing yourself as you are, really are, and confessing that to Him and asking His forgiveness and giving yourself to Him. And He gives Himself to you and you become something that you've never been before. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He, he tents among you. He tabernacles within you and lives within you. And you become spiritually alive. Now Jesus went on to, after the rich young ruler walked away, he looked at his disciples and said, It's hard, hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, harder than a camel passing through the eye of a needle. And disciples were upset by this. And they said, well, then it's impossible. And Jesus' response to them, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, salvation is only possible through God. Amen? should be an amen there somewhere. Salvation is not what we do to get to God. Salvation is what God has done in us, what God has done for us, what God does through us, what God, when He changes us and conforms us to the image of His Son, when He gives us life and brings us from death to life. In contrast to the rich young ruler stands the disciples. These are the ones Jesus was talking to. They're the ones who saw the rich young ruler walk away. They were fully engaged. They were completely surrendered Peter speaks up as part of this conversation with Jesus in verse 28 of Mark 10. He says, um, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. That's Mark chapter 10, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything. And have followed you or have followed thee. You understand the importance of this. The significance of what it means to leave all. Uh, years ago, I, I don't remember what year it was exactly. But years ago, we went through a series as a church in January. We called it Burning the Ships. We told the story of Cortez who landed as an adventurer on, in the Americas. And when they got out of the ship, lest some of his people would turn around and go back, they set the ships on fire. So they had to go inland. They were here and they were here to stay. And that's the mindset that we have of being fully surrendered, of being fully engaged, of being all in. They left their jobs, their careers, their family, their friends, their plans for the future. There was no price they were not willing to pay to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They laid all those things at the feet of Jesus. They all renounced those things in order to embrace Him. Jesus became the priority of His life. I want you to understand that Christianity is not an add-on to life. Christianity becomes life. Uh, Christ becomes life. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ and our devotion to Him, our adoration of Him, our following Him and walking with Him defines what it means to be a Christian. Christianity is not a thing that we do. It's a person that we know, a relationship that we have. And He is worth it. Because renouncing doesn't sound like fun. I mean, it's Christmas time. We're pretty materialistic at Christmas time. 
for a lot. It's about gifts and, and receiving of gifts and the, even the joy of giving gifts. Those are good things, but renouncing things does not sound like fun. And yet, what did Jesus tell Peter when Peter said, we've left everything and follow you? He, Jesus says, your rewards are great, both in this life and in the life to come. It may not be what you were expecting. It'll be so much better when you follow after me with your whole heart. So as we look to 2021, at whatever age you are, whatever stage of life you are in, our congregation, we want to resolve to be fully engaged in being the congregation that God has called us to be. And again, viewing this year as a journey, we need to make sure that we understand the value of preparation. And that's the second point. We need to recognize the importance of being prepared. Every great movement of God is preceded by times of prayer and preparation. Every great movement of God in Scripture and in history since Scripture was preceded by times when God's people began to genuinely worship Him in prayer, began to hunger and thirst for His Word, began to go through times of confession and repentance, began to pray intercessorily for the souls of a city and of people in families and relationships, and began with times of surrendered as they prayed together. And we need to recognize the importance of preparation. Look at Abraham. Abraham didn't have a clear plan except go to a place that God would show him as he went on the way. It was about Abraham learning to listen to God, learning to be obedient to God. And even the promises of God that God gave Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, sometimes the very first steps of those promises, it took 15, 18 years for him to see the fruition of those in his life. What about Moses? Moses by a miracle of God raised in Pharaoh's court. And then Moses sinned. And he killed a man and he had to flee Egypt. And God sent him to the wilderness. He went to the wilderness of Midian. Where he spent 40 years learning to take care of sheep. And tending sheep. And developing skills and preparation. And then when the children of Israel who were in slavery in Israel. Cried out for a deliverer. God chose Moses. And prepared him first with a personal encounter. And a personal commission. And a personal promise of provision along the way. And Moses went and prepared and did. Moses was the great deliverer of Israel. God was the great deliverer of Israel through the obedience of Moses. And that's important for us to recognize. God doesn't need us. He chooses to work in us and through us. He wants us to be partakers, fully engaged in His redemptive work in the world. What about Israel? You get out of the promised land. You, I mean, you get out of slavery, you go straight to the promised land? No. As a matter of fact, if you track their journey, they went south and then they went a little bit east and there they came to Mount Sinai at the beginning of the wilderness. And at Mount Sinai, God delivered to them what? The law, the Ten Commandments. For two years, they spent, just from, just from leaving Egypt to Sinai, gathered there, learning God again, becoming reestablished in the truth of God's Word, the relationship that is required and necessary. What about King David? You remember when Samuel came to the house of Jesse and he was looking for the one that the, the, the Lord had called him to anoint to be king after Saul? And David wasn't there. He went through all the sons of Jesse. What, don't you have another son? Oh yeah, he's out tending the sheep. And so he goes and gets David, brings him back, and David's anointed as king. Do you think David got regal robes right then that he was acknowledged and recognized as king? He was not. As a matter of fact, he went to serve in Saul's palace. 
And, and you guys can read all of those accounts in Scripture. You have read them as we've read through the Bible over the last few years. You will read them again as we read through the Bible again this year and next year in one reading plan. But you'll see all of the experiences that God brought David through in preparation. And David loved God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a friend of God. And God prepared him. How many times was David anointed king? He was anointed king three times. First with Samuel and then over Jerusalem and then over the other tribes, finally uniting the tribes in one kingdom. And David praises God for a fresh oil, a fresh anointing. In Psalm chapter 92, verse 10. Now, the children of Israel in the United Kingdom, of course, then Solomon became king and then Rehoboam, and there was a divided kingdom, and then there was the, the promise that because of their disobedience that God would use Babylon to come and to conquer them as a sign of his pub, uh, punishment. The Jewish nation was in captivity until God raised up a king of Persia, Artaxerxes, that gave them permission to begin to go back home. After a period of time in that captivity, Artaxerxes, king of Persia, allowed the Israelites to return to Jerusalem. And there was a man named Ezra, a scribe who was skilled in the law of Moses. He went to teach the people the things that they had forgotten. He didn't wing it. He didn't casually approach this task. He didn't say, well, yeah, I'll do this as I get time. He was fully engaged. And in Ezra chapter 7 verse 10, we have this testimony of Ezra's life. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and judgments. Ezra prepared. He was equipped. And God can work in spite of his people, but God chooses to work through us. Even sometimes recalcitrant people. Even sometimes when we don't feel like it. Even sometimes when we're in rebellion. Remember the story of Jonah? The unwilling prophet. The rebellious prophet. The prophet who preached, had a great revival, and was distressed at the outcome. And yet God moved and worked for his glory. The disciples had three years of preparation for the ministry that God had for them while Jesus was on the earth with them. Paul, his whole life, was directed by God's sovereign plan. And now we need to recognize that part of preparation is planning. We need to know what the next steps are. We need to have some view of the future that God has for us. And we need to be biblically informed as we make plans. The, the current addition of the proverb is to fail to plan is to plan to fail. And Proverbs teaches so much that we are to plan. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty, who does not plan, comes only to poverty. And planning is essential. When we read through the book of Proverbs, and in this reading plan, we'll read through the book of Proverbs multiple times over the course of this next year. We'll recognize that planning is essential and you don't plan in a vacuum. You have a multitude of counselors and you always seek wisdom. But planning is always submitted to the one who knows the end from the beginning. You can plan your way right out of God's leadership. Did you know that? You can have a plan and be married to the plan and God comes in to change your plan and you like the plan that you have better than you like the leading that God is giving on that, on that day. Or in that life. And so while planning is essential and important, it needs to be led by the Holy Spirit of God as well. Preparation to make sure that there is nothing that is keeping us from hearing God, from walking in obedience to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our life is essential, from walking in agreement with the clear teaching of God's Word. That is why when Paul was preparing Timothy for his ministry at Ephesus, 
he said in in Second uh, Timothy chapter, uh, what is it, four, verse twenty and twenty one. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold. Second Timothy chapter two. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. There are some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Another way of saying that, he's prepared. He's clean. He has renounced the things he needs to renounce. He is embracing the one he needs to embrace. He is prepared for any use that the master has for him. In all of the examples of preparation that we've mentioned, there are some common aspects. And I want us to, to walk through this again. We've been through this before. We're going to be through it again. We're going to go through it again and again and again. Those of us that know it need the reminders. Those of us who are in it on a regular basis, we need the encouragement as, as we go through this. Uh, we need to pray. What is the greatest sense of... We didn't talk about the Israelites before they went into uh, the promised land. When the Israelites were preparing to go into the promised land, Moses had died on the mountain. God had taken him home. Uh, Joshua was in charge. The children of Israel were there. It has been 42 years since they left Egypt. A whole new generation has come up. And yes, they've been exposed to the Word of God, but it was a time of preparation and cleansing and bringing things into obedience that had not been into obedience. And before they even crossed the Jordan River to go into the promised land, God had Joshua. First of all, he reminded him of his promise. Everywhere you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Everywhere you set your foot, I'm going to make sure you get it. You need to make sure, though, that you don't let the law of the Lord, the Word of God, depart out of your mouth. Don't let it leave what you say. Don't let it leave your heart. Let it be preeminent. Because that is the basis for success. The definition of life that glorifies God is being yielded, obedient, filled, empowered, strengthened, convicted, rejuvenated, empowered, encouraged by the Word of God as it indwells us, as He indwells us and brings His Word to life in our hearts and our lives. And the children of Israel had to go through a pretty uncomfortable time of preparation and consecration. And then when it became time, they brought the Ark of the Covenant, they set foot in the Jordan River, and the river rolled back. And they walked through. Just like the Red Sea when they were leaving Egypt, now they walked across the Jordan River to Gilgal, and they started to claim the promised land. A journey that's prepared by consecration. Making sure that we are vessels fit for use. And that is part of praying. And, 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 and it is intentionally carrying on communion, uh, communication, interaction with God regularly and consistently. The Israelites were drawing closer to God, remembering those things that they had forgotten. And they spent extent, extended times in prayer. And so we are going to, as a congregation, starting next Sunday, distribute every week a prayer guide. And the, um, the prayer guide is basically on Sunday we will introduce the emphasis of that particular week. And then during the week you'll have five days in which we ask you to take, I would ask you to take whatever time it takes. For some of you this may be Ten minutes in addition to what you're, uh, what you're normally doing. For some of us, we'll get into a passage of Scripture or we'll begin praying and talking to God about a specific time and time will just fly and you'll be amazed how much time you spend talking to God about these things. But every day, we commit and we covenant and we first start next week with praise. We begin by praying.
praising God, by extolling His name. That is always where prayer should begin. When we praise God, we acknowledge His character, His worth, His weight, His glory. We affirm it in our own lives and we affirm it back to Him by ascribing glory to Him. In Psalm 145, we have a tremendous example of this. In this hymn book of the Israelites, in David's Psalm, in Psalm 145, when he says, I will extol you, my God and King. I will extol you. I will, I will praise your name. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. It is acknowledging who God is and lifting our voice to Him. Uh, and setting our minds and our hearts on the greatness of God. Let me tell you something. We, there's a lot in the coming year that could make you nervous and afraid. There are things you know that are coming that could make you nervous and afraid. But buddy, there's a whole bunch you don't know that could make you nervous and afraid. And yet, what is the command of Scripture? What is the responsibility that we have as the children of God? It is to be bold, like God told Joshua. Be bold and courageous. Why? Because we have a God who is our King, and He reigns, and He's supreme, and He's completely trustworthy. And when we get our eyes on the situations around us, whatever challenges they are, be they small, be they big, be they things that recur, or one-time things that just hit us, when we allow that to focus our attention, it throws us off balance. And yet, what our firm foundation is is God and His faithfulness to us. And we, we begin by remembering who He is, who He tells us that He is, who He has revealed Himself to be. And we sing that back to Him, and we speak that back to Him, and we pray that back to Him. It sets everything right as it should be in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives. You can't have faith in God and be fearful of the world at the same time. You can't do it. And so... Praise establishes that. And then, of course, when you see God as He is, you always see yourself as you are. And that's usually not very pretty. When you see the holiness and the faithfulness and the righteousness of God and you uh, rehearse those back to Him, you see your own weakness and your failures. The time when you have just been a dilettante, the lack of being fully engaged and being sold out, the areas where we have temptation that we would come to. And just like Paul told Timothy... We can be a vessel for a dishonor or a vessel for honor. We need to rid ourselves of that which is dishonorable in order to be a vessel fit for the Master's use. When God reveals sin to our life, and that could be something we do, something that we don't do, something we are not believing, something that we should believe, or something that we are believing that we should not. It can be a behavior, it can be a habit. When there's something that is taking root in our heart that is keeping us from being prepared to be a vessel for honor, use, uh, suitable for the Master's use in any way that He wants to use us, then we confess that. We agree. Father, I agree this in my life. And Father, I don't want this to be in my life. I want to glorify You. And so I, first of all, ask You to forgive me. And where this sin has been an offense to others, I'm going to go and ask them for forgiveness as well. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to ask that You cleanse me and replace this with what should be rather than what is. And by faith, I'm going to claim it. And God makes real that which is impossible for us apart from God. Repentance, a vessel fit for honorable use. P and R, praise and repent. This is just an easy way to remember. Praise and repent. And then there's the A, the ask. And here's the challenge. We like to ask. 
We like to ask, Lord, I need this, and Lord, I need that, and Lord, if you would see fit, this would be good, and Lord, help. And uh, We like to ask, but the key here is, many times we don't ask for the right things, and we wonder, why is God not moving like we want God to move? And it's, we have not because we ask not, and when we do ask, we ask for the wrong things. This is James chapter 4. When we ask, we ask amiss, we ask to spend upon our own pleasures, rather than asking for those things that bring glory to God. And so we're going to go through a series of weeks. Week one is praise. Week two, we're going to spend time in repentance. Week numbers three, four, and five. We're going to be asking things for one another, for our congregation. Things that God has called us to do, that we're going to ask God to come and move in and among us with a fresh movement of His Holy Spirit in our life. Asking things that are in accordance to His Word. Asking things that His Word tells us and commands us to ask. And then, of course, we have the praise, repent, and ask. The last three weeks in January, we'll be asking for the church. The first two weeks, or three weeks in February, we're going to be asking for the West End of Greenville. We're going to pray for people you may not have met yet, people you don't know by name. We're going to pray for Eric and Laura, and we're going to pray for Sarah and Charles, and we're going to pray for Hans, people who live on Arlington Avenue, some we know, some we've just casually met, some we haven't met yet. We're going to pray for the people who live not only on Arlington, but on Mallard, and we're going to pray for the people who live on Memminger, and we're going to pray for the people who live on Jenkins, and we're going to pray for the people who live on Dunbar. You guys know these streets? You're going to. Because we're going to ride up and down those streets praying for the people who live in those houses. And we're going to take walks through those neighborhoods and communities. Maybe not in February. But as we begin this year praying for the people who live in those houses. Praying that God will meet their needs as a demonstration of God's love for them. We're going to pray for our city. I believe Greenville is a great place. I don't think we're as great as we think we are, but I think Greenville is a great place. I think Greenville is a wonderful place for us to be planted by God to make an eternal difference in the lives of the people that he's brought here. God has brought the world to our doorstep. And I know we say that, but I don't think we really believe it. And the mission that He's given to us. So we're going to praise God. We're going to repent. Ask God to cleanse us and make us honorable vessels. We're going to ask for God to move and work in us as a congregation. And we're going to ask for God to work through us in our city, in the west end of Greenville. But in our city for His glory. And then the last thing is why. You guys remember yield? Yield? James chapter 4, that same chapter where he said, you have not because, why are there quarrels and fights among you? It's because because you're not asking for the right things. You want things you shouldn't have. And he goes through all of that and he talks about humbling yourself. And then in James chapter 4, later in the chapter, verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That's the problem with planning. You need to plan Don't misunderstand me. We're commanded to plan, but you don't trust in the plan. You trust in the one who gives the plan because God changes plans. And He moves in His work through His people as we are prepared for Him to do so. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. That's 
first boasting is just planning without God. We need to plan under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, being prepared to listen to Him. And when we are spending time in praise and in repentance and in asking and in this continual process of yielding, being fully engaged, God, whatever you, you want for us to do, then we become close to God, intimate with, with Him, and we trust in His leading. And that's the next step. We need to rest in God's leading. We need to trust that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. We need to trust that God knows best, that He knows the end from the beginning. We need to do like James just commanded and say, yes, this is the plan, but this is the plan as the Lord wills, as the Lord guides, in alignment with God's Word, timeful for this. And I've got to tell you, if you don't think God changes people's plans, you have not read the Bible. Do you think Mary was planning on Gabriel showing up? Do you think, we just celebrated Christmas. Do you think Joseph, that what happened was anywhere near part of his plan? How do we respond when God changes our plan? One of the greatest apostles, probably the greatest missionary apostle in the New Testament is the apostle Paul. Dramatically saved on the road to Damascus. Prepared. Three years in the wilderness. Brought back for a ministry to help Barnabas with the church at Antioch. While there, led by God to do a missionary journey. Ultimately, over his career, he would have three missionary journeys. On one of those journeys, he went to a place where he met Timothy. Well, now Paul wanted to share the gospel everywhere. He wanted to share it in Asia. He wanted to share it in Bithynia. He wanted to share it everywhere on the east. And here's what God did as they went through the region of Phrygia. This is, um, and uh, as they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden, here's a change in plans, by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Here's an opportunity. Let's go here. We're here. And yet God said, no, I have another plan. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul, fervent, well-intentioned, broad approach. We'll get anybody and everybody along the way. And yet God said, Nope, I have a place I want you at this time in this place. Need to understand that we need to be continually in the mindset of saying yes to God. We trust Him, and so we can say yes to Him. We trust Him, so we can say, when He tells us, go to a place and I'll show you on the way. We trust Him when He says, plan, open the Word of God, do all things in agreement with the clear teaching of the Word of God. Exercise godly wisdom by saturating your mind with the Word of God. Being continually in prayer, praising, repenting, asking, and yielding as a pattern of life, submitting yourself and opening your mind to the Word of God. We need to remember who we are, and we need to remember who He is. Isaiah 45, 9, God is speaking, and He says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his Maker. (laughs) Man, how many times have you argued with God? This is a good testimony time, I guess, but I'm not going to share one. (laughs) 
But we will be sharing testimonies as we go through this time. And how many times has God led you to do something? And you're like, God, I don't want to do that. God, I don't think this is a good idea. God, I wish you had a different plan for me. God, I'm willing to go so far, but I'm not willing to go further than that. And God says, go to a place. God says, I will anoint you now, but you won't get to be the king. You'll be the king after the third anointing. God says, this is what you have to go through. Forty years of sheep in the wilderness. This is what you have to go through. You have to go through this cleansing process and, and you stand there and argue with God. You know how to win an argument with God? Surrender. And you win. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. An earthenware vessel among the vessels of the earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say he has no hands? He's the potter. We are the clay. So, I'm going to end this sermon with a homework assignment. How about that? It's important that we recognize that I am asking you to commit to do two things in this coming year. It's the new year. Isn't this where you get a gym membership and go on a diet? It's the new year. Isn't this where you resolve to make all A's in your classes and be a good student? And this is the, when you resolve to do all of those things that you were hoping to get to last year, but it didn't happen. Let, let's let this year be different. And let's resolve to do something that God commands us to do. And let it be something that God equips us and enables us to do. And the first is nine weeks of prayer together as a church. Nine weeks of prayer together as a church. Now, I do not have the prayer guides to give you today. We're starting that next week. We'll give you all of January, the first Sunday in January. But you'll also get it via email. As a matter of fact, if you want it, we'll send it to you via text. It'll also be on the website. It'll be on the Facebook page. You'll have to close your eyes not to get it. We want to do everything that we can do to remind you to pray together with your brothers and sisters. There is something that happens. you remember what happened when Peter was arrested? And the, 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 the Christians were in the house praying. And God freed Peter and he came and knocked at the door. Chloe said, oh, there's Peter and closed the door. Left him standing outside and went to tell him Peter was there. What had happened? The people of God were in one place, in one accord, praising Him and asking Him and yielding to Him. And and the earth shook with the power of God on display. I don't know how to say this. God moves when His people pray. Because God moves in and through His people as we pray. And so I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray for nine weeks We'll pray together over a certain set of topics. And we'll hand those papers out next week. And again, you'll be, have a lot of exposure. But I'm going to ask you to do something else. Every year we do a daily Bible reading guide. And we've done a chronological daily Bible reading guide. We've done a five-day-a-week daily Bible reading guide. Uh, we've done a seven-day-a-week starting at the beginning, working your way to the end daily Bible reading guide. We've done a lot of different things. This year we're going to slow down a little bit. And we're going to read through the Bible in two years. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, sometimes we're just checking stuff off the list. You guys remember the list we had last year with the little check? And we just, i got to read this today, i got to read this. Well, I didn't read it. And, so we, and we just zip through without taking time to allow the Word of God to percolate in our mind and hearts. And I want you to slow down and read and understand what you're reading. 
and pray through what you're reading. It's very important that we allow the Word of God to take preeminence in our, in our mind and in our thinking. But also with this two-year guide, I want you to do more than just skim. And so there is a book written by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. And this two-year plan goes with this resource. Now, we bought, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 of these. You can take one as a family. We, want, we would ask that you buy them. They cost $10. But you can take one as a family. You can take one individually. We can order more. We'll be happy to order more. But what this does is it walks you through your daily Bible reading. A couple of minutes here. Read a couple of paragraphs here. And it prepares you for what you're going to be reading and to know how to pray through and think through those passages of Scripture. That's not too much to ask, is it? That's an easy ask. That's an easy win. And what happens when we are faithfully praying and we're faithfully listening to God by engaging in His Word is we become vessels fit for the Master's use. We become a congregation, not a building, but a congregation that puts the glory of God on display. There are people in your circle of friends and in your relationships and in your families that need to see God at work in your life. And this is a great way. Matter of fact, I'll tell you it's the only way. (laughs) Being prepared for whatever the future is that God has for us. It's going to be a great year. Now, we may have earthquakes and tornadoes and uh, political horror stories. We may have economic crises. We may have Christians uh, that are persecuted. All of this stuff goes on in the world. But for a believer, that doesn't mean it's not going to be a great year. It's going to be a great year because we have a great God who has promised to be with us, to live in us, to work through us for His glory for eternity. Father, I want to thank You for the privilege that we have to be Your children. I want to thank You for the opportunity that You give us for all that lies ahead. I thank You that You choose to work in us and to work through us. And I pray, Lord, that You will help us to be prepared for what you have. I pray that this preparation will include us deepening our knowledge of the truth you reveal in your word, that we will hunger and thirst, that we will be informed, that we will be guided and led. Your word will be a light to our path. Your word will keep us from sin. Your word will draw us closer to you and reveal to us more about you and more about ourselves, more about the community that you've placed us into. Father, I pray that we will also be people of prayer that prayer won't be just a habit or something that we just do when we're in trouble or something that's just an ask list, but we will go through this entire process of praise and repentance and asking and yielding and praise and repentance and asking and yielding until it becomes a song that we sing. It becomes the way that we communicate, the way that we think, and it's your life that breathes in and breathes out of us, and our lives are transformed by your glory. Father, we want to know in, in it through experience, in our experience, What impact one church totally surrendered to you can have for your kingdom in a year's time. We love you and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.